Specialty Story, session number 43. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. We're here to tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where we bring you a great specialist to talk about his or her specialty. And this week is no different. We have Dr. Venkat Gangadaran, who is a community-based interventional cardiologist. And we're going to talk all about interventional cardiology, how he got interested in it, what he likes about his job, what he doesn't like about his job, and so much more. Let's go ahead and jump right in and find out how Dr. Gangadaran first fell in love with cardiology. First of all, I knew I wanted to be a cardiologist right in my second year of medical school. And I did whatever I could to figure it out. Any book that I opened up, cardiology was like the only chapter that I read. And I tried to make my with everything else, you know, by learning from somebody else. And by the time I got into residency, things changed. You know, the first two years of residency, my mind did change. Um, I had an idea of whether pulmonary critical care or cardiology would be my calling. And then uh, it, I got the chance to experience what the cath lab was like and finally see what they do when they treat heart attacks and I was pretty much sold right then. I'm a guy that likes instant gratification when it comes to treating patients. I like to see them get better right then and there. And that's where I found uh, one, doing cardiology. Number two, doing interventional cardiology was the way to go. Um, I knew in my uh, in my second year uh, that I wanted to do interventional cardiology, uh, second year of cardiology fellowship, that is, and um, did whatever I could applied everywhere across the United States. And let me tell you, it was the toughest thing because no matter how competitive you are, you know, you're one amongst several thousand that are trying to get the same position. And I must have interviewed in at least 10 different places. And it was, it was so difficult that I finally ended up matching in a program just at the last minute and made the decision to take it. And I feel, you know, that was the greatest decision ever. Um, and uh, I, I feel good about it. What was it about cardiology? You said you'd open up the textbook and, and you loved reading and learning about cardiology. What was it about cards that drew you in? It, it, was, it was the, you know, the physiology behind it. You know, everything made sense. There was a reason for why, you know, the heart did what it did. There was a reason for why the rhythm was abnormal and what we did to fix it. And, uh, it, you know, it was, uh, it required some amount of, uh, you know, cognitive thinking, some amount of problem solving, but uh, at the end of the day, there were defined medications for certain purposes. There was, uh, um, there were risk factors that you knew that you could treat, and there was uh, problems that had a definitive uh, treatment modality and a cure for some extent. You know, I uh, I figured that you know, doing the job that I do. Uh, it would be far easier if I had a plan, you know, a defined plan, uh, one that I knew makes sense and one that I could easily explain. You know, I'm a lot about working with my hands. I'm a lot about the mechanical aspect of things. And when you're looking at your heart, I mean, it's essentially a pump, you know, it's essentially a, 
uh, a a box that has valves and has different mechanics to it and it only works a certain way and it, and the medicines and things that we do make it work that way uh, other specialties you know not that i wasn't drawn to them but things like oncology and infectious disease diseases and gastroenterology uh it just you know the the breadth of knowledge required to be a specialist in them and the uh problem solving nature in them just didn't appeal to me as much as cardiology did and to be quite honest it, reading those textbooks it was the only thing that ever made any sense what traits do you think lead to being a good interventional cardiologist? I think you need to be uh, dedicated. You need to be hardworking. You need to be analytical and um, be able to think on your feet. Uh, when you are in the cath lab and you have a patient's life in your hands, uh, you know there are a, probably a million different decisions that are running through your head, and you just got to be able to pick and choose the right one. And make sure the patient gets through it no matter what. Uh, you know, in the modern day, uh, when it comes to heart attacks, you know, the chance of people dying from a heart attack is so low nowadays that, um, you know, everybody gets a chance. Back in the day, you know, when interventional cardiology was, was in its infancy, you know, many people didn't get that chance because there was no facility to treat them. There was no place to send them. And you just... And that's how we discovered thrombolytics and a number of different medications. But now, with the technology that we have, there's not one person on this in this entire country uh, uh, that should not have a chance to live, but um, uh, at the hands of a of a cardiologist. And so, when it comes to traits, I would say you need to be uh, be able to think outside the box, be able to be analytical and mechanical in your head, because. Interventional cardiology is all about physics. Interventional cardiology is all about the give and go and trying to get either a stent in a place that needs to be stented or a valve in a place that, uh, that, could, be replaced, uh, that could be replaced without any uh, difficulty. The way you were talking about being in the cath lab with somebody's life in your hands do you need like like emergency medicine and, and trauma medicine, whether you're a trauma surgeon or an ortho trauma guy or gal, do you need to have that adrenaline junkie kind of mentality as well? I would absolutely say so. I mean, when you're taking a STEMI call, which is what we call emergency call uh, amongst interventional cardiologists, if you're not able to wake up on an instant in the middle of the night at three o'clock, you know, after you've had a long, hard day, to have all of your faculties ready to go and you drive the 20 or 30 minutes to the hospital that you need to go serve and then have your fingers ready to go and adept to put the stent where it needs to go or fix the blood vessel that needs to save a person's life. I mean, you need to love the rush uh, for you to be able to have the uh, mental faculties to take care of that problem and in the wee hours of the night. You're in a private practice setting. What was the decision algorithm for you to go private practice versus an academic setting? Well, you know, coming through fellowship, you know, although you train in an academic setting, you never really get the or understand the experience of what an academic interventional cardiologist really is because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is get your skills and understand the concept of things and be confident in what you do uh, no matter where you go. Uh, the reason why I chose private practice uh, was, number one, it was the easiest choice at the time. There are far more private practice positions out there than there are academic positions. Number two, um, 
you have to have a certain uh, mentality and a certain persona to be an academic interventional cardiologist compared to one who's a private practice physician. In this day and age, you know, they say that uh, is is being a doctor money driven. I wouldn't say that it's money driven per se, but I would say that it plays a huge role in the decisions that you make when it comes to the job you pick and then the way you want to raise your family. Uh, as a private practice physician, you have uh, the ability to dictate your own life, the ability to treat your own patients, uh, the ability to um, learn things at your own speed without having to uh, really answer to anyone else but your own practice. Um, and that was kind of what I was looking for to start with because to me, I felt in private practice I would get uh, the most opportunity to make my skills as great as they are um, before I decide to choose a different avenue. As an interventionalist, what types of pathologies, what sorts of diseases and patients are you seeing? We see everything from valvular heart disease, you know, uh, including like aortic valve stenosis or mitral valve regurgitation uh, to atherosclerotic vascular disease. It's truly mind-boggling the, the amount of coronary artery disease that is out there and how young a person can be uh, by the time they get affected. Uh, and, and to be quite honest, it's humbling when you're, when you, uh, you know, have to do a intervention or treat a STEMI in a 34-year-old when you're 34 years old as well and are living the same kind of life that he is, you know. It opens up your eyes. It makes you want to realize that life is short. And you need to take care, to good care of yourself. And so when I see things on the screen, sometimes it uh, uh, makes me just think twice because it's surprising to see how bad people's arteries could be at such a young age. Think uh, twice when you're eating that burger. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Describe a, a typical day in the life of an interventionalist. So as a private practice physician, as I said before, you know, um, it's tough to be just an interventional cardiologist. And so what I do is I practice a lot of general cardiology as well as interventional cardiology, but my mind is always focused on what I can do to fix something. And so uh, the way my day runs is I get to the hospital around 6 or 6.30 in the morning. I round up my patients through, during the day. And if anyone comes in with a heart attack or I'm on call for STEMI, you know, I drop what I'm doing and go and save that life, uh, followed by, you know, going to the office and going to the clinic and trying to recruit patients to your practice so that you can maintain a lifestyle and maintain a, uh, a career. And again, treat these patients the same way. The interventional cardiologist, you know, it, it's very rare in private practice to find a position where you do just interventional cardiology. You just have to be ready to handle any situation that's presented to you. Um, as in my particular situation, you know, I take emergency call about three to four times a week. Um, and that's because I'm a young doctor and my practice is made up of only two interventional cardiologists. And so it's, we handle the brunt of everything. What does that call typically look like? Um, from an emergency call perspective, uh, you can, you'd be on call about three times a week. Um, but not all private practices are like that. The larger the private practice, the less call that you're going to take. And from a general cardiology perspective, I take call once a week, and then I do one weekend a month. It, initially, when I first started out all this, it was pretty uh, 
uh, pretty rough going because I never thought it would be this much work. But, you know, you get used to it. Like I said, that adrenaline keeps you going. And uh, to be quite honest, talking to you right now, I'm actually on call for, for one of the hospitals. Oh, wow. Hopefully we don't get cut off. <laughs> no, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Do you feel with all of that call, being a younger doc, do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of medicine, whether you have a family or, or other activities that you want to do? You know, the, and that's the million dollar question. Um, over the past three years, uh, I can be quite honest. I have, you know, thought about what uh, life outside of my work and, uh, and the balance that I have between my work and my home life. I have a two-year-old son, and uh, I can tell you, uh, when I come home every day, it it, uh, it puts a smile on my face when he when he calls me dad or says he wants to play with me, and uh, and misses me all day long. But there are plenty of days that I I have where I feel bad about coming home late or working as much as I do. But at the end of the day, you know, being young and being a young physician, you know, this is your career. This is the time to make a living. This is the time to earn for your family after which you can decide what's going to work for you and uh, where you want to spend your time more. Yeah. And the more time you have under your belt, the hopefully the less call you have to take and the, the more seniority you'll have. Exactly. What does the path to becoming an interventional cardiologist look like, the residency and, and fellowship training? So, you know, once you come out of medical school, you know, you make the decision to do an internal medicine residency, uh, wherever that may be. Typically, I, when I was applying, I looked at places that had a decent cardiology fellowship because I knew that was, at least that was what I was going to do. And then the likelihood of you getting into the cardiology fellowship at the residency program that you trained at is better than one you would get it at another place. Following which, you do another three years of a cardiology fellowship. During that time, uh, you know, you have, you're introduced to cardiac catheterization and different aspects of interventional cardiology, at which time around the second year of that fellowship, you make the decision that you want to become one and you start to apply to interventional cardiology fellowships. Now, the difference between interventional cardiology fellowship uh, applications and the general cardiology fellowship application is that many of those programs are, how you say, paper applications, mm -hmm. meaning you have to seek them out, find out what their application process is, do every step that you can, and and then apply. And then, of course, follow up several times to see if they've received your application and uh, try to hone in on the programs that you really want to be a part of. At the end of the day, they look at a number of different things, which is degrees of research that you've done during fellowship, your progress through your testing during uh, fellowship and training, and, of course, at the end of the day, where you trained. That goes a long, long way. Why do you think matching into interventional is so competitive? I think it's because, uh, to be quite honest, um, it's one of the uh, more rewarding of cardiology fellowship uh, in my regard. Not, not that I have uh, anything bad to say about being an electrophysiologist or being a nuclear cardiologist, but for some reason when people uh, decide to become a cardiologist, you know, they the the one and you know the the number one killer in people in the world is heart attacks and so an interventional cardiologist is essentially designed to treat those and so you figure that the amount of people that are applying to be an interventional cardiologist are far more 
than the people applying to be an electrophysiologist or a nuclear cardiologist. And from what I understand, becoming an electrophysiologist is very, very difficult. The testing is very, very difficult. And it really requires someone to be a very cerebral and uh, sort of a mentalist to handle that kind of a profession. <laughs> the, the adrenaline junkie versus the mentalist. That's right. I like it. From from your standpoint as an MD, do you see any negative bias towards DOs who want to get into interventional cardiology? You, you know, I don't see that. And to be honest, in my own practice, I have a partner who's a DO, and he took the a very long way to become what he is today, but he's a successful interventional cardiologist, and there, there really isn't any bias. At the end of the day, the MD and the DO designation is just a designation. The person you are is the physician that you are. What kind of training you get is what kind of training you get. So you can be an MD and and be an awesome physician. You can be a DO and be an awesome physician. Um, I don't think that has any weight in uh, in terms of uh, whether you have a chance of being an interventional cardiologist or not. Uh, I think it's what you do with the time that you spend and the training that you spend that makes you who you are. Once you are fellowship trained in interventional cardiology, are there any other opportunities to further subspecialize? Well, recently there's a new development in something called structural heart disease. And in the country, there's only a handful of programs that are actually accredited structural heart disease fellowships. The uh, ACC as well as the ABIM have yet to recognize a designated fellowship for this. In addition, you know, Coronary artery disease is not the only thing that plagues people. Peripheral vascular disease is also what plagues people. And so there are specialized fellowships to do a training in endovascular work is what it's called, where you treat uh, abdominal aortic aneurysms, you treat uh, claudication or blockages in the arteries in your legs, as well as people with uh, carotid artery disease or, or strokes. Um, you have the pos possibility to uh, access those bus blood vessels. I mean, when we call ourselves interventional cardiologists, we're actually an interventional cardiovascular physician. And so the vascular aspect of things is largely untapped. And, you know, majority of that training can be obtained after a fellowship. Um, and so those are the other avenues that are available right now. Hopefully in the next few years, they become designated fellowships and there's more opportunities out there and uh, people start to do them more. It's, it's funny you mentioned that I, I spoke to an interventional radiologist previously, and it sounded like with interventional radiology, there was a, a development of some turf wars. And the way you describe kind of the cardiovascular aspect of interventional cardiology, it sounds like there may be some turf wars brewing with vascular surgery as well. Is that true? Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that's absolutely true. Um, it, when it comes to peripheral vascular disease, it's actually a turf war between a vascular surgeon, an interventional cardiologist, and an interventional radiologist. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, you know, there are programs out there that have long trusted the interventional radiologist to do the procedure or long trusted the vascular surgeon to do the procedure. And uh, we as interventional cardiologists are right now making the push to take that on ourselves. I mean, the, the breadth of peripheral vascular disease is so prominent in this country. There's opportunities everywhere, but you won't see many uh, uh, private practice interventional radiologists or uh, 
private practice vascular surgeons doing a lot of endovascular work. Majority of them have some sort of academic affiliation. You will see a lot of private practice interventional cardiologists handling all that work. Interesting. What do you wish you knew primary care physicians knew about interventional cardiology, what you did day in and day out to better help their patients? I would say that I wish they uh, knew the breadth of disease that we see, the complicated nature of disease uh, that is present in their patients. And at the end of the day, I really wish they would understand the medications that we use to treat these conditions. Unfortunately, I live in a place where managed care is a strong uh, push in this area. And what I mean by managed care is, is that primary care physicians are limited in the medications that they can offer their patients. And many of them end up changing the medication that I place my patients on or, <laughs> uh, how do you say, uh, denying the stress test or denying the arterial ultrasound that the patient needs to, you know, gather some more information uh, for their complaints that they have. And when I first got here, it blew my mind that this was a process and that was reality. And over the three years, I still cannot grasp this idea where primary care physicians literally dictate a patient's life, regardless of the symptoms that they have. It's almost like a patient has to show up in the hospital uh, to get the real care that they deserve then go through their primary care physician because, you know, maybe six times out of 10, they're going to get denied. And it's, it's very sad because I've had to rescue people at the, uh, how do you say, at death's door when they could have been rescued maybe two years earlier without that problem. Wow. That's not fun. <laughs> That's not fun. Which, That's not fun at all. Which no. is why we're undergoing healthcare change all the time. Agreed. Agreed. What uh, what other specialties do you work the closest with? I work very closely with pulmonary uh, and critical care because they help manage my patients um, uh, in the ICU, as well as I help to treat pulmonary hypertension uh, that is often diagnosed by a pulmonologist. Uh, I work closely with infectious disease because they have a uh, large breadth of people with you know, foot ulcerations or diabetic foots um, and such that require peripheral vascular interventions. Um, I also work very closely with nephrologists because when it comes to uncontrolled hypertension, you know, it's a, uh, it's a mixture of ideas from a cardiologist and a uh, nephrologist. And sometimes you can, an interventional cardiologist is needed because renal artery stenosis is another atherosclerotic problem another blood vessel in the body that can be stented, which can help reduce your blood pressure. So uh, I work quite closely with those three specialties um, and uh, they, you know, rely on me to help them as well. There are some specialties that I talk to, some physicians who their specialty lends them to going into other non-clinical aspects of medicine, whether it's uh, going in and going into industry or going into to administration is there anything special about interventional cardiology that lends itself to uh, having opportunities outside of clinical medicine? I think uh, the more senior you become as an interventional cardiologist, uh, I think even the more senior as you become as a cardiologist, uh, you know, the opportunities outside of medicine start to open up. When you're part of a large hospital system, 
and you have a good relationship with the hospital administration, most of those avenues are open for you. Uh, speaking of my group, one of my partners is actually the chief of internal medicine in the hospital, as well as the chief of cardiology at the hospital. Uh, and uh, it's a rotating door when it comes to that position. But uh, cardiologists are often taken in high regard because we, to be quite honest, have our fingers in every aspect of things. In addition, you know, from a research perspective, there are cardiologists out there that have migrated over to industry. My mentor uh, himself uh, has left uh, practicing inter interventional cardiology after about 45 years and is now fully engulfed in industry and promotes one of the products that he helped design and helped bring to market and uh, helped bring to its, uh, its position today. And so you have the opportunity to migrate over to industry and be a, uh, a speaker like yourself and, uh, and go out and teach the world about what you do. What do you wish you knew going in, into interventional cardiology that you know now? I wish I knew what the process was to get better trained in what I do. To be honest, I, f I feel like I probably should have seeked out uh, an extra fellowship, like a structural heart disease fellowship or a peripheral vascular fellowship uh, at the end of my uh, one year of interventional cardiology. But at that time, you know, you make the decisions based on the situation that you're in. And uh, if I had known that there were so many opportunities out there, I probably would have uh, given it a better shot. It never really occurred to me at the end of my fellowship. And number two, I would say that although I'm a private practice physician, I, I wish I'd given academic interventional cardiology a strong push at the time that I was making a decision for a job. It's never too late. It, it really isn't. And uh, I never knew that it was going to be uh, this busy. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a young guy, I'm pushing through it. And, uh, you know, hopefully something turns out in the next few years. What do you like the most about being an uh, interventional cardiologist? I love doing procedures. I, I love do, working with my hands. Um, I, I love the adrenaline rush of uh, fixing a heart attack. Uh, to me, waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning is not difficult. Uh, and, you know, if I could save a life and they walk out the door the next day alive from something that could have killed them, I feel like I've done my, uh, my job for the day. To me, the procedural aspect of this whole uh, profession is what makes it the best thing every day. What do you like the least? The, uh, the bureaucratic aspect of it. I think running a private practice or trying to develop a career as a private practice physician is very, very difficult. Uh, unless you have the business know-how or the business acumen, I would say, it's, uh, it's difficult to make yourself well-known in a community that has several people just like you. Um, does that mean that you shouldn't try? No, I think it's, it's always a good thing because it really teaches you what the business of medicine is like. Uh, to be quite honest, one of the things that we lacked as uh, residents, as fellows, is that nobody ever told you what the business of medicine was like. Nobody ever told you what reality was like. And reality is that everything uh, costs money. Everything you do, you need to earn something from it. And you need to be happy doing what you do on a day-in, day-out basis. And so 
you need to find a place that you that gives you the opportunity to grow as a physician, but also gives you the security that you know that this job is going to keep you happy for years to come. Do you see any major changes coming to the field, whether it's medications or new procedures? Well, there are several new changes coming through, but one of the biggest changes that will likely be coming through over the next year or two is that uh, CMS is going to be bundling payments when it comes to uh, cardiac procedures and cardiac diagnoses. And what I mean by that is that, uh, for example, um, myocardial infarction, which used to be differentiated uh, regarding the medications that you prescribed and the procedures that you did and the stents that you put in are now all going to be bundled under one big heading called myocardial infarction. So the payment that you're going to get is going to be far less than what you would have gotten in the past. You know, over the last five years or so, cardiology has been largely affected by the um, reimbursement and the cut in reimbursement. I mean, we've lost almost, I would say, 40 to 50 percent of what the normal reimbursement would be for a regular procedure. And that's why, you know, it's now becoming more and more cutthroat in, in our field to do more work and find more patients and treat more disease because you're not making as much as you used to. And so uh, that's only going to get worse as time goes on. Uh, eventually, uh, private practice is likely going to dissipate depending upon where you live and hospital-employed physicians and hospital-employed practices are going to predominate in this country. And the reason for that is is that hospitals can negotiate better deals with insurance companies. Hospitals can negotiate better deals with pharmaceutical companies than a private practice ever will. And uh, if you want to keep doing what you're doing and want to make a decent living, you know, you might end up becoming a hospital-employed physician. I'm going to hold out as long as I possibly can, but uh, it's, it's just around the corner. So CMS, if you're listening and don't know that, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I, I briefly want to chat about that for a second since you brought it up. Do you think everybody is, is always up in arms about reduction in reimbursements? And obviously, as, a, as an interventional cardiologist, you've been out in practice now for three years. There's interventional cardiologists that have been out for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. You expect or you you come to expect a certain level of income and when that gets messed with everybody freaks out do you think that these reductions in reimbursements are are totally crazy or do you think that now that interventional cardiology has been around a while the this the procedures that they're reducing reimbursements for the technology has been out for a while and everybody kind of knows how to do it now. So it's, it makes sense to reduce the reimbursement. In my personal opinion, I don't think it makes any sense to reduce the reimbursement because at the end of the day, uh, these procedures are being done by physicians who are one taking the time out of their night to stay awake in order to save a person's life. You know, the procedures are, continue to be arduous. They don't get any easier. You know, although we have technology that's available to treat these conditions, not, these procedures don't happen in 30 minutes. You know, they take an hour, hour and a half. Sometimes peripheral vascular disease can take as long as four hours. And and so the the work, the stress, the, uh, the uh, what do you say, the difficulty with your general lifestyle all still exists, and that's never changed. Yeah. And so 
reducing the reimbursement for these procedures is is unfortunately how do you say um, fostering an environment or a uh, an idea that medical management is probably better than risking your own life trying to do something you know uh, I have seen a lot of my partners who were you know interventional cardiologists back in 30 years ago when things were great um, really changing the way they practice based on the reimbursement that they're getting and it makes sense because let me ask you this question why would you go and try to do something um, whether it be to save a person's life or to be good at what you do when the government and insurance companies don't feel like it's necessary and don't feel like you should get paid for it yeah uh, I think I think that mentality is coming out a lot in our um, newer graduates uh, and the older generation is also catching up to it and realizing that they can't make as much as they used to. And so it's throwing a big stress in many of these private practice groups. I can tell you the idea of neurograduates to think that, you know, they're going to get paid like they did 30 years ago. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Like I, 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 I tell everybody that I meet, if you want to be an interventional cardiologist, you're doing it because you love what you do. You're doing it because you love being a cardiologist. Don't do it for the money because yeah. it's happening everywhere. Yeah, that's that's every field. <laughs> it's every, that's right. every specialty. I think that's, that's, right. that's good wisdom. If you had to do it all over again, would you still choose interventional cardiology? 120%. Nice. And any last words of wisdom for a pre-med or a medical student out there thinking about cards, thinking about interventional to to motivate them after we had a discussion about how they're not going to make any money um, to motivate them to continue down this path. You know, cardiology is a, is a specialty that is going to continue growing. It's going to continue being the most prevalent uh, disease in this entire world. It, it, I, what I would advise medical students and, and the people listening to this podcast, I would tell you that if your heart is in uh, cardiology, if you <laughs> Pun think intended. that you want, no, no, no pun intended. <laughs> and if you uh, if you truly believe that you want to help people and that uh, that adrenaline rush is what you what you live for, interventional cardiology is the way to go. You're gonna love working with your hands. You're gonna love the awesome equipment that we use, and it's only getting better. I mean, you can do things with our heart arteries that people couldn't even fathom 30 years ago and think about it we still have 30 to 50 you know i still have like 30 more years in my life and all of you are going to have 50 more years in your life so the thing the things that you're going to be doing i can't even believe that is going to come out and research just keeps happening and happening and so if you love cardiology if you love what you do and uh, you live for excitement you're not going to be disappointed all right so there you have it again that was dr venkat gengadaran talking about private practice, community-based, interventional cardiology. I hope that was helpful for you. Our first cardiologist on here on the podcast, I hope to bring you many other subspecialties within cardiology so you can get a great picture of what cardiology looks like for possibly for you in the future. Again, that's our goal here, to find all of these different specialties and talk to them in an academic setting in a private practice or community-based setting. Find out what their job is like so that as you are going through your training, you get a better picture of what life for you will look like. You'll hear 
why physicians are choosing their specialties, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And that will help guide you on your journey to choosing your specialty. I hope this week was helpful for you. Join us next week when we have another great guest for you here on Specialty Stories. And don't forget to recommend this podcast as well as all of the other podcasts that we have, including the Pre-Med Years, the MCAT Podcast, and Old Pre-Meds Podcast, as well as the Short Coat Podcast over at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com.